Joshua chapter 23 at verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it it endures forever. Guys, two weeks ago, we were in this text, Joshua chapter 23, and I told you that there were three things in it that I wanted you to see. There was the description of a danger, uh, the things that he says in verse 7, you may recall, uh, turning aside from the, neither to, uh, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention. Do you remember? That was the danger that he was concerned about, about uh, uh, syncretism, uh, including idols in with the, with the true God. That was the danger. Joshua's old. He knows he's about to um, wind it all up. And he looks out over Israel, and there was one thing that really concerns him, the propensity that we have to mix falsehood in with truth or false gods in with the true one. That was the danger. And then you may remember the he had a, a piece of instruction, or he had several pieces. One was in verse 6, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Then, then we talked about clinging to the Lord God and loving the Lord God. That's what we did two weeks ago. And then I told you then... There was something else in this text that I wanted to come back to. I know you don't remember any of this. I, I don't expect you to. But I'm just trying to refresh your memory. I, I told you we were going to come back to this text because there was there was, there was some, a third thing that I wanted you to see. And it had to do with motives. And there are a couple of things in here that, that we could draw our attention to. I'm only going to spend time enough for one. But, but understand, first of all, guys, if, if you are not aware of this, then you're naive. A naivete that could get you in a lot of trouble. We Christians, here's, here's what you need to know. We Christians face a danger. And it, it has nothing to do with Washington DC. It has nothing to do with public education. It has to do with us. We, we don't need anybody to help us wander. We do a pretty good job of it ourselves. And Joshua has given some instructions as to how to avoid the danger. But uh, perhaps the most important part of the uh, of the avoiding the danger has to do with motives. Guys, as a Christian, what I do is important, as well as you. Or let me let me say that again. As a Christian, what we do is important, but equally but equally important, if 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 not even more so is the reasons for which I do it, or the motives behind it, or the why. Well, Joshua includes some of that. He not only points out the danger and gives some instructions, but but he has some, he goes a bit deeper to, to expose or to address motives. And the first one he has, or the, the, the chief one I think he has in this little section, 
has to do with our grasp of grace. Oh, everybody loves that word. Everybody loves the idea of grace. Even non-Christians. I, I, I never will forget, and, and I, I bet you many of you remember it, but back at 9-11, and how stadiums all over the country were f- filled after that horrible attack on our country, and, and massive numbers of people, and they were almost, without exception, one of the things that they sang is, of course, amazing grace. But, uh, Jimmy, um, you know, I, I don't see grace in what you read, nor do I see it in this chapter. I mean, I, I don't see it. Where is it? Well, guys, the word isn't there. But it's there. And I want to show it to you. But first of all, <clears throat> I guess, how, how do you define grace? I, I, I guess there's a whole lot that we could say about defining grace. You've heard of the little acrostic, I think, uh, grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. But in all honesty, that misses the mark. Guys, there's a lot that we could say about grace, but at the heart of it, it means at least this. It means at least gift. Uh, again, that, that's pretty simple, but at, le- it, at least it means that much, but perhaps far more. Now, if that's true, if grace means gift, and it does, did you notice that in this story? Look at verse 1. A long time afterwards, when the Lord had given rest. Verse 13. Um, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides, a thorn, um, until you perish from a good ground that the Lord your God has given you, verse 15, until he has destroyed you from this good land that the Lord your God has given you, verse 16, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given you. But guys, it, it's not just in the words. The, the words are there. But there's more, there's more to it than just the words. You find it in statements like the one that I read in verse three. Look at verse three. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Look at verse nine. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. Verse ten. One man of you puts to flight a thousand. Since it is the Lord, your God, who fights for you. Joshua looks at what's happened to the Israel since they've been in the promised land, and he says, the only way I can explain this, the only reasonable explanation for our military dominance in, in this particular area is that God has fought for us. God has been rich in grace towards us. God has given us rest. He's given us victory. He's given us this land. Guys, there's all kinds of gifts out there. All kinds of gifts out there that are free. 
You can buy one, get one free at McDonald's. But those gifts won't change your life. Grace changes you. And the reason that it does is that it's supposed to remind you that everything that you possess, you have it by way of a gift. Is your marriage working? Sweetness in that marriage of yours? Is that because you're better than the ones whose marriages are rocky? Career doing all right? Little money in the bank? Enough to take nice vacations every now and then? Valued at the company, are you? Where did you get those abilities? Where did you get those opportunities? A God of rich grace gave them to you. So my point is this, ladies and gentlemen. Recalling what God has done for us has a preserving effect on us. Now remember, he's warning them of a danger. And he gives them some instructions. And then he reminds them on several different occasions, in several different ways, don't forget what he's given you. And the more I'm in awareness, all that I have that God has given me, the safer my soul is. We are made less likely to fall prey to the danger that he mentions in verse 7. If we keep fresh reminders of the rich things that God has done for us before us. And folks, that is why, or at least that's one of the reasons why this is called a means of grace. You ever heard that term? The means of grace. There's several. The sacraments, giving, suffering, fellowship, those are all means of grace. But one of the means of grace is this sacrament. And it very simply, and, and does very clearly, I think, remind you, remind us, of all that God has given it has nothing to do with yeast in the bread or no yeast in the bread. It doesn't have to do with fermented grape juice or non-fermented grape juice. That's immaterial. These are emblems. 
that are supposed to remind us of the broken body and shed blood of Christ. And as we are reminded, our souls are preserved. So my brother and sister in Christ, you are being visually reminded of the extremes to which God has gone to deliver us from our enemies. How he fought for us. And how he has given us the gift of eternal life. So think very slowly, very deeply about what you're doing. And when we do, it preserves the soul. Our Father, I do thank you for all of the things that we, um, that we know that we enjoy because of what you have done for us. We recognize and recognize clearly that all that we, that, that you have given us the ability to make wealth, but that as we stand here today as forgiven men and women, as people who know that their sin is forgiven, that they are on their way to heaven, that they are safe. We know that because of what you have accomplished and what you have done for us, what we have received from your gracious hand. And so now, Father, would you meet us at this table? Would you, would you, <clears throat> would you say once again to our souls, that it is because of Christ and Christ alone, not because of our baptism, not because of our, our confirmation class, not even because of our faith, but it is because of Christ and Christ alone that we stand safe. Remind us of this, O oh God, while we participate. We ask it in Jesus' name.